Hey, it's Ali. And Upile. And we're going to jump into part two of the interview with Ken Yang. Uh, this is a very interesting part because he really goes into some of the newer stuff he's working on. I really love the whole blockchain movement. Really nice stuff, isn't it? Yeah, and he gets really uh, he gets really passionate about it, which I really like. He's a passionate guy. That's true. Without further ado, let's get started with Ken Yang's part two interview. Let's do it. The first thing I want to ask you is, in meeting Steve Mann, um, what was that like? What was that first interaction with somebody who maybe you read about, um, but kind of knew in the back of your head was an inventor? What was that meeting like? Um, it, it was pretty incredible, actually. Because when, when I met him, it almost felt like the, it, it was, we were very good compliments for each other. And... Um, but it was it's very different worlds, right? Like I remember the first time I walked into his lab and I was wearing a suit. Um and he was in a swimsuit. It's just totally different worlds. <laughs> and he was like chopping up a watermelon and he offered me some. And I was like in a tie and like a like I was fully suited up. And I just felt so out of place. Almost like what the hell are you doing here? Right? Yeah. Like we don't need we don't need MBAs here. <laughs> Which and and I got it, right? You got to like one of the one of the first things I heard in that lab was like it wasn't hostile or anything, but it was more of like a like like a curious slash suggestion type of comment like Ken like you got to learn how to code. Come back when mm-hmm. you want to build something with us. So I I got the signal. And the signal wasn't specifically that I have to become an engineer or like a scientist. The signal was that it was really uh, how does one provide value in 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 an environment like that? Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if you're like a designer or an engineer or 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 what have you. Um, But to thrive in a in a setting like that, you got to be able to provide value. And it's true just with any contact you meet. So that was pretty. That was pretty interesting, and and uh, and I interpreted that statement in my own way. Basically, okay, I gotta I gotta come back. I gotta be useful, but at the same time, I gotta find a way to. And this was like more for a personal uh, motivation. I gotta find a way to take some of his in, in, in really awesome inventions, productize them, and fulfill the market demand that already exists. Or to explore for other other markets where it may exist. So that so you, you yeah go on. So you went in knowing that there was the potential of taking some of these ideas and commercializing them. Um, did I know that there would be a potential for that? Yeah, like oh, I, I no, guess I'm not wondering. At all. Okay. Not at all. And some things happen very serendipitously. Serendipitously, right? It's like, um, I mean, I so I was just really interested in his work, and um, and he offered to bring me into his lab and and just you know, originally we connected through music because he invented a whole suite of new musical instruments. One of them was the hydrolophone, which was commercialized mm-hmm. through our first company together, and it was just a prototype mm-hmm. back in the day. Um, 
but I had no idea whatsoever. And I'm a pretty like risk averse person. Like it, 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 I probably won't jump headfirst into something unless I know for sure that there's some sort of traction or undisputed, or sorry, like uh, unambiguous market demand that's been validated. Um, mm-hmm. And he started sending me like 10 years worth of emails of just people wow. emailing him or his students saying, hey, can we buy a hydrolophone? Or really? can, do you, can we, we saw a video of your latest HDR. Um, can we license that? And the answer was no. It was just a science project in a lab. Maybe it had a few patents, you know, a bunch of journal articles and, and PhD students working on it. And this is something mm-hmm. that's true, like, around the world. Steve is just a – I use Steve as a case study. Down the hall, Jeffrey Hinton, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he, he and a few of his students created deep DNN research, deep neural network research, um, in, and sold it to Google, I think, in 2013, and then now became mm-hmm. Google Brain. And mm-hmm. But that's one project out of all of the work out of the lab. And I can – I can find you like a hundred of the labs where it's exactly the same thing, right? Where, where maybe like there's, there's a market for a huge pool of the IP, uh, but it's just not going anywhere. And once every few years, maybe somebody like me comes along um, or somebody like, you know, like, like uh, somebody who wants to help uh, and, and, tr- and attempts and makes an attempt and has some chance of success. Um, but it's not, it doesn't happen all the time. Yeah. But aren't aren't there more and more accelerators in universities trying to tackle this problem? And I mean, I, I was part of an accelerator here in London called Entrepreneurs First, and we took a lot of PhD students, and we allowed these PhD students to work on some of their ideas. Now, granted, some of these students weren't at the caliber of, of Steve Mann. They're very smart, but they probably didn't have any that many years of experience. But it was still this kind of process of hey, you you've been working on this PhD for five or six years. You've got a great idea. Let's help you commercialize it. Let's pair you up with an MBA or a business person and get whatever you're trying to create to market or create a different idea based on what you're working on. Yeah, this model is not new at all. A lot of accelerators, some try to do it in an incubator. I prefer accelerators. Um, I prefer what's called outcubators. Rather than an incubator, having a bunch of startups like under your roof, having an outcubator where you just get startups going out the door and like experiencing mm-hmm. the world. Something that researchers mm-hmm. don't get a lot of time to do unless it's like conferences, right? So they don't have like the the know-how of of doing market research or sorry, I mean like meeting investors or doing sales pitches or stuff like that. And 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 you try it. and a lot of these accelerators uh, or these organizations try to install an MBA and do it. Problem with that is, is that getting a co-founder like that, and and that that improves the chance of success like by a lot. That's a great. That's a that's a black swan. It's an anomaly most of the time, because mm-hmm. um, like MBAs, the MBA types, and I'm saying this like I'm trying to like not be as biased as possible because I I have an MBA myself, but mm-hmm. an MBA doesn't actually help you that much when it comes to starting a company or um, or, or managing a business. In fact, in, in some parts of, uh, of the world, like in the Valley, like in Silicon Valley, 
um, mm -hmm. it, it actually adds no value. It, it actually might actually damage your reputation if you say, hey, I, I, I'm an MBA, right? What they really value down there is like engineers, like really smart engineers and scientists, right? And maybe mm -hmm. people who dropped out of school, like uh, like my, my current co-founder, right? Mm -hmm. um, but the, the problem is that a lot of these accelerators are not actually being run by people that have done it before. They might be like school administrators. Um, and of course, like I'm, there, there are exceptions. There are some that are very good, right? The, the CDL is an example of one that's very good. And maybe the one you mentioned in London could be good as well. But they have to be like one thing that we say in, uh, here at the CDL, and you may have heard it through the next, is that like the, the most critical component that you cannot buy on Bay Street is business, is business judgment. Like you can walk down to Bay Street or Wall Street and, and you can buy a lot of things. Like you can buy labor, right? You can buy reputation. You can buy a lot of things. Um, but you cannot go down and buy a unit of business judgment. And that is – business judgment is basically like if you wake up and you're an entrepreneur or you're a business manager – and there's like a thousand things that you could do. What are the top three? That's business judgment. That's very hard to acquire, except for mm -hmm. through mentorship uh, from people that have done it before. And that pool of people is extremely small, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so an accelerator that actually is able to to, to connect you uh, and and have them very hands on, like these types of business mentors, uh, that's very valuable. Mm -hmm. An MBA, for example doesn't really it doesn't mean just because you're an, you have an MBA uh, it doesn't mean you can run a business I mean there's a lot more to it so I think it's an interesting interesting insight and, and so you, you saw this potential you saw all these different ideas and then that kind of I guess spawned global because you're seeing so many different people with so many great ideas not being able to commercialize the opportunity and so and correct me if I'm wrong but this is kind of where uh, you thought global could be an answer to that problem. Yeah, actually, the idea for global had existed for several years already. Um, it was so my my previous co-founder and I, uh, Steve, we had an investor that brought us to China, and we did we went through a few stops for a roadshow. And um, there happened to be another company that shared an investor with us there called Neptune, which was um, the highest f funded Kickstarter campaign in Canada. And uh, the founder of Neptune, Simon, he's from Montreal. Um, I met him there in in in, uh, in China together. And today he's my co-founder at Global. And Global is actually his idea. And he's kind of, he was kind of like me. He had like a bunch of ideas. He he launched one of them, but he had a bunch he had a bunch of them that you know potentially had uh, very large um, economic implications if it succeeded. Uh, Neptune, basically, just uh, I'll be very brief. It's it's, it's, uh, it's like a it's a smart it's the world's first commercially available smartwatch, by the way, before the uh, Apple Watch, before the um, um, what's the other one, Pebble. Um, Pebble yeah. yeah, and it was the highest funded Kickstarter campaign uh, in Canadian history, and it actually got uh, featured on um, like Fast and Furious Seven for like half an hour, like on Jason Statham's wrist, and like by like half. Halle Berry and one of the Netflix shows. So it got a lot of wide coverage and um, him and I, we were both like uh, entrepreneurs uh, early on in our careers. Um, yeah, and he's also a Teal Fellow. Uh, 
so like the the Teal Foundation uh, basically paid him to drop out of school and pursue an idea. And and Global we had talked about for several years, and the idea behind it is um, if you have a great idea today, it's extremely hard to get it off the ground. And uh, you know people in the entrepreneurial world understand that. Um, there's a saying. Ideas are cheap and execution is everything, right? But if you look at the ingredients needed to start a company today, they're actually growing in abundance and some of them are growing exponentially. So for example, the amount of capital that is flowing um, into uh, tech space or, or a startup space, like from VCs, angels, uh, crypto funds, it's growing a lot. And, uh, the, the amount of talent in STEM, like engineering, design, designers, right, technical people, scientists, researchers, that's also growing. And markets in general are also growing, right, especially tech markets, right? And, and, and uh, a few uh, specific tech markets are growing very, very fast. Quantum computing, AI, blockchain, biotech, etc. And, and so it's not a matter of like we're lacking the resources, but why is it still so tough, right, to get some of these early stage ideas off the ground? And it really comes down to a coordination problem. It's really hard to get all of the pieces, right? So the idea behind Global is, is that as soon as idea a good idea is thought of, it gets automatically paired, right, through a democratic validation process. So it gets voted on. If a good idea is posted on global, then it could be upvoted. And then it passes a certain threshold, uh, it will enter election mode where anybody who thinks that they can be a project lead, like a CEO type, can nominate themselves to be that role. And then they get voted on. And then if that's successful, then it goes into a crowdfunding stage where uh, it's basically like a like an automatic ICO. But this ICO has certain protections built right into uh, into the project, uh, which basically prevent uh, all of the problems that we see with the ICO landscape today. One of them, namely, is that each project that goes through um, this global process will issue its own project token. And this token allows the holder to, to participate in the governance of the project going on, right? So for example, voting on the vesting of funds, um, yeah, all the funds that get raised through this process, they go into a project wallet, um, and it, it, it it's uh, the it, the vesting of the funds out of this wallet, uh, it's controlled by a smart contract, right? so it's completely immutable. As it's all transparent, and um, and 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 the token holders can vote on like locking the wallet if there's any kind of evidence of fraud. They can lock the wallet of the team members. They can vote, for example, on um, completely self-destructing the entire project and returning all remaining funds back to the investors and so on and so forth. And then when the project starts generating revenue, most of it goes back to the inventors, the investors and, and the team members. And then a small minor, uh, minority of, of it goes back into the global platform and gets redistributed out as a universal basic income, which is a, a separate topic, but something that's been, getting a lot of support recently. I think I think the way you explained it is, is very good. I mean, we, we spent some time looking at the website and we were both fascinated by the, the white paper you guys have there. 
and I definitely recommend checking it out. Um, the big question I have here is there's a lot of, and I want to call them assumptions, um, that you are trying to validate at the same time with this idea. I mean, the, the biggest assumption, obviously, is, is the, the reliance on crypto. But let, let's ignore that because I think we both should be very good proponents of this technology. But there's also a reliance of people wanting to share ideas, people wanting to not just elect and hope others succeed, which I think takes place better in the academic community than it does in the entrepreneurial community. But you're hoping that people actually are willing to share ideas, collaborate on those ideas, and then hope that post-collaboration, there is enough to be distributed to keep the, the economy growing and to keep at least the economies that you're creating, these micro-economies growing. And I feel like, I feel like when there's so much kind of riding on this, when there's so many things, so many assumptions you're trying to make, it's very hard to make sure everything goes well. Um, does that at all worry you or are you, or, or am I wrong in saying that there's a lot of assumptions that you need to validate here? Yeah, so every stage of the global process has already existed in our economy today. So if you're talking about um, people posting ideas and then get and having others voting on them, we have many platforms where that already exists, like Steemit or Product Hunt or Reddit or even Twitter, right? Where basically like market validation that takes things to the top. Good ideas, that is. And in a lot of these platforms, there's no monetary incentive whatsoever. Like you have no incentive uh, other than just pure intrinsic motivation to, to upvote something on Reddit. People still do it. So that's fine. And electing teams and building teams uh, like very in a very distributed manner, that's also happening around the world right now, right? Like like the, the whole gig economy is, is a new standard that I think a lot of people that have worked in big corp um, – they don't have they don't have a clear idea of how fast this is taking over. Like if you if you talk to a blockchain developer, for example, very often they're working for like three or four or five different projects. They don't work for any single company. And uh, a lot of these roles that they take on, um, like they're they're very fairly awarded. They're paid in crypto, and uh, and it works very very well. And and. And at the same time, people are, are a lot more motivated to do their job, right? And electing teams, that's that's been happening for like over a century now. Right? I'm talking about like in business. So that's not a big issue for me. I, I think the, the biggest thing when it comes to the, glo the global platform is really getting, um, make, making sure that the best ideas have a way of being seen, right? Because like... In all of these platforms, if they get posted and, and there's visibility, people will engage like, with no monetary incentive. So the, the really interesting experiment here is what happens when you tie an economic incentive to participation. Right? So, so the, the global model is if, if, you're, if you vote on a very good idea that eventually takes off, you get rewarded through, through um, part of the stake in the, in the project. Right? just for identifying a good idea very, very early on. And you get rewarded for investing as well and investing in the right people. And in return, you get project tokens for that. So yeah, you're right. There's a lot of assumptions. And and uh, as, we, as we iterate on this, there are probably going to be some mechanics that will change over time, right? 
just like corporate structures change over time or corporate law changes over time. Uh, but there's no doubt that like ever since the entire uh, blockchain community has blown up since uh, you know early 2010s, that I think people are looking for a new economic model. And people are, are just fed up with the current way that things are, are being done, right? Like we were never meant, for example, to work in a major corporate bureaucracy. And you can see just from the sentiment of like Occupy Wall Street, which by the way didn't ha didn't go anywhere, right? Or um, or what's happening in Venezuela right now? Like they experienced mm -hmm. like massive, massive inflation of their Bolivar. And what happened in Argentina before, right? And what's going on in like what's really interesting is is like if you look at places like Venezuela, Argentina, or like Vietnam or like uh, Malaysia, where there's historically been some like economic turmoil and political instability, the adoption of crypto is extremely high compared to to in the States or in Canada or other places where like the average person is pretty complacent because things are pretty damn comfortable in Canada, right? Or in California. But in places like that, like we, we, we released our, our website, we did uh, like a public press release and our white paper and everything and all our videos and our assets assets and we actually got a massive spike in reception um from some of these developing nations because you can like you can actually tell that people are screaming for a new economic model and in these economies like look at what happened in kenya right basically like there was there was a lot of uh, loss in confidence in in the kenya shilling in the national currency just like in in Argentina, just like in Venezuela, and people adopted the new standard USD, which by the way is now banned in Venezuela, which is crazy, you know, which led to a whole other story. But in Kenya, they adopted the USD, but it became very hard to transfer these uh, this money like across borders or around a lot. So they started sending each other cell phone minutes using uh, a M-Pesa. Right, which is which yeah. is basically this had this happened before Bitcoin. This started happening before Satoshi released the paper, and and you know that like a new model like this will be if it's needed enough, it will just emerge from the people. And so Global is building a DAO that takes early stage ideas and commercializes it. And some of the precise mechanisms will have to change over time, but we know that microcosms of this model are already being created by the people uh from a, from the ground up you can see with the ethereum dao for example in 2015 um that the people really want something like this a, a model where an idea is posted it gets deliberated by a community and voted on and if it's good then it just receives funding from a crowd and gets launched people want this well, where, do you, where do you see uh globe in, in the next three to five years um, so in the next few months, we're going to launch a testnet for global where we'll have uh, a pre-vetted pool of ideas, early stage ideas, as well as uh, talent. So we've partnered up with a few organizations that have a, have a, each have a pool of several hundred like project manager types that have worked at like fortune 500 companies and the likes. So we'll have a pool of ideas and talent, and then we'll also have, uh, early stage uh, investors and uh, crypto uh, enthusiasts that are on the platform.
And so this testnet will basically allow people to just validate ideas and and um, you know test out the platform and make sure everything's working correctly. And then once that's very mature, then we're going to launch the mainnet for global, which will be a suite of app, uh, web, and mobile interface, um, as well as a wallet that to hold all the project tokens. And this is when a project can actually be launched. And so in the, in the next year, I would say, uh, we're going to, we're going to go from testnet to mainnet and uh, bring on the partners that can populate the IP as well as the top. And uh, already right now we have a pipeline of um, both early stage ideas and talent, as well as like pre-vetted projects that have already have teams uh, built around it. And so, um, this is this. I think this is a new model that will take a little bit of testing, but um, you know the advice that we got from uh, one of our investors, Peter Thiel, was basically just launch it and iterate. Nice. And who and who is behind the tech? Uh, do you have a team? I presume. Yeah, we have. Uh, we have a pretty strong technical team. Um, our CTO, uh, Ian Antec, he's actually originally from Venezuela and. Um, and so he, he feels the pain, um, that, that, that's calling for a new economic model that's powered by technology. I think that's it in terms of, uh, the questions that we had. We really appreciate your time, Ken. Oh, thank you very much.